Hi there. This is Jill with the Pickle Jar. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. On today's episode, I'm going to share with you a little bit about my first adrenal crisis that I had with my Addison's disease. So a quick little background. If this is your first episode that you're listening to, um, I'm 46 years old and I've had adrenal insufficiency, primary Addison's disease for about 11 years now. I was diagnosed when I was 35 and I currently use an infusion pump to manage my illness. So I wear a pump that pumps hydrocortisone 24 hours a day, seven days a week throughout my body. If you're interested in a little bit more about my diagnosis and using the pump, there are podcast episodes on that. You are welcome to go and listen to those as well. Um, but today I wanted to share with you my first adrenal crisis and what I remember about it, because I think it's important for us to share these stories. And I hope my hope through this podcast is that you may get some information, um, something that you haven't maybe experienced or different ideas of things that I've changed or um, things that we did when I was in crisis that possibly could help you. And you know, if you have adrenal insufficiency, time is of the essence when we are in a crisis and we need to act quickly and we need to have that system in place for us. So, so let me as best as I can share with you about my first crisis. So now I was very fortunate when I was diagnosed, I did not go into a full adrenal crisis for diagnosis. I was diagnosed prior to getting extremely ill with my Addison's disease. Um, up until about, so I had my first major crisis probably a year, a good year and a half ago. Prior to that, I never had any major crisis. Um, I had several times I ended up in the ER needing IV steroids and being extremely close to one, but I never really experienced, I never experienced a full crisis before. Um, so basically what had happened was Crisis happened the end of January and the month or two leading up to that, um, I had started a new job working at a Home Depot, a local Home Depot. And this was my first out of the home job. When my kids were little, I stayed at home and I worked from home and it was, it was a great compromise with the illness. I could work and I could still kind of go at my own pace and run my own business. But I decided I wanted to kind of get out in the world and I wanted to work. So I absolutely loved my job at Home Depot and they were so accommodating to my illness and so compassionate. It was so wonderful. I love the people so much. And, um, but to maintain my illness, I had to be at work at 6am and I had quite the little drive. So I was getting up at like 3.30 so I could stick to my regular routine because I knew how important it was for me to eat my breakfast, to have my energy. And, and I know I, I needed that for my Addison's disease. And I'm the personality when I go to work. I work. So I would go and, you know, I'm given 150% every day, even if I wasn't um, top on my game with my Addison's, I try to maintain my meds. I kind of had the mentality, nothing's going to hold me back. And you know what, up dose, listen to your body, just keep going, you can do it. And I just loved it so much. I wanted to be there. So and then we were going through Christmas. So I started working at Home Depot the start of December. And I always joke like I need like special medication and dosing before for Christmas because Christmas is exhausting and Christmas is a great example of how you do just a little bit more every day usually like you're socializing different there's more activities going on um, and people usually feel more tired and fatigued over Christmas and then when you have a chronic illness and you do those different things every day it really really wears you down and for me I know I, I always say the body's an amazing thing our body can 
especially when you have an illness, your body can compensate in so many ways and I can function, um, compromise and still get through a day. Um, but sometimes that's my worst enemy because I can function and get through the day. And when those days of pushing myself too much add up, problems occur. And what happened was I went into a crisis for no apparent reason. So basically what happened, it was the end of January. And I think looking back now, I had been running, you know, maybe at like a 50% level for a long, long time. And I didn't realize how below standards I was and how sick I was slowly, slowly getting and how, um, how invisible my invisible illness was getting to me basically. So um, I was slowly getting worn down more and more and more. And I was just accepting it, I think, as normal, as normal, as normal. And I was, whatever signs I was getting, for some reason, they weren't registering with me. Um, so I had dinner one night and I actually had a, a few drinks, which I don't normally do. And I know I was feeling very off that day, like, but I couldn't really, couldn't really figure out what was going on. So um, all of a sudden, I just really was feeling unwell. And again, I couldn't describe it. It was something extremely new to me and I wasn't too sure what was going on. And my first gut instinct was I had food poisoning. Um, so I decided perhaps maybe I should go to bed and lay down. I was kind of concerned. Okay. Food poisoning Addison's if, you know, I vomit, get diarrhea, I know I'm going to have a big concern with dehydration and that was going to be a problem. So I went to bed and what I remember is laying in bed and, and I always describe my Addison's when things get really bad, I appear like I'm sleeping, but I don't feel like I'm sleeping. I feel like it's more, I call it the Addison's coma. It's like, I kind of go in and out of this state of consciousness. And I, I just, I just can't des describe it. It's like, I'm here and then I'm not, and then I'm here then I'm not. And I was kind of going in and out of that. And I could tell every time I woke up, it was getting harder and harder and harder to wake up. So eventually I woke up and my little, my little dog, Harley, she was a little 14 pound dash hound, mini dash hound was in bed with me. And, um, I got up, I woke up and the stomach pain was absolutely incredible. And I got up and I threw up probably, I'm going to say within a 10 minute period, probably 15, 20 times. And it was violent and it was extreme and the pain was extreme. Um, I had diarrhea and I was just, I just, honestly, I thought, I still thought it was food poisoning. I didn't know what was going on. So I was kind of in that unlogical brain of, I was so sick and so weak, I didn't know what to do. Um, and I was trying to pull myself into that logical brain. Okay, you have Addison's disease, you're throwing up. This is extremely dangerous now. This is extremely dangerous for you. You need to act quickly and you need to figure out what's going on. Um, and I'll admit, I was scared. I was scared because it's with Addison's disease, things can change so quickly and be so devastating. Um, I was like, oh, I remember thinking, oh, I've prepared for this. I've done so much preparing, but did I prepare enough? Is this enough? Is this, did I prepare enough to, to save my own life? So I went back to bed and I was so weak. I couldn't call for the help that was in the house. And I, I did not know what to do. And with a, a word of a lie, I rolled over to my, my little dog, Harley, and she just passed away a few weeks ago and she was only four. Um, 
I remember I rolled over to her and I went, oh, like, you need to go get help. And I remember her looking at me and then she bolted off the bed <laughs> like, a, like a little rock star she was. And she went to the stop of the stairs and I could hear the panic in her voice, in her voice, in her bark, <laughs> right? Um, she barked and barked and help came. And um, we tried to decide what to do. Um, I still didn't understand what was going on that I was in crisis. I, it just didn't, it just didn't click to me. So for me with my Addison's disease, the debate is always go to the ER and am I going to get medical professionals that know how to act quickly and, and are going to treat me seriously and know the seriousness of my condition? Um, or do I stay home and try and do it myself? Um, and I honestly, I didn't know what to do, what my comfort level was. We tried to get some G2 and different things like that going so that I was hydrated, made a phone call to my sister who, of course, um, in her lovingly way said, she's, she's stubborn. Don't let her stay home and make sure she goes. <laughs> so, um, so we decided to make, um, a phone call to 911. And as we're waiting for 911 to arrive, I remember trying to prepare my speech. Okay. Are they going to show up? Are they going to know what to do? Are they going to be understanding? Are they going to like, I just had no idea what to expect. And, um, so when the paramedics arrived, um, I remember them coming into my room, um, and them coming to my bedside and, and I remember the one paramedic, her grabbing my wrist and she instantly started cleaning for an IV. And I started to go into my speech. I have Addison's disease and I need this and blah, blah, blah. You have to get me to the hospital. And she's like, I know. And she goes, I just, two days before this, she goes, I just did training on Addison's disease. She goes, I know what to do with you. And I was just, I think she saw the look of shock on my face. I'm like, are you serious? She's like, yeah. She goes, do you have your solucortab? She goes, if you have it, we can mix it and I can give it to you right now. And she told me, she goes, I had to tell. And then she told me, she's like, I remember her saying, she's like, don't be offended by this. She goes, but when we got the call, she goes, I got all excited when they said it was somebody with adrenal insufficiency because I knew what to do for you. She goes, and I had to tell you as soon as I came in the room, she goes, because I saw the fear in your eyes. And I was so scared. I was so scared that that was, that that was the end for me. And, um, so she, we got the solucortab and I got a hundred milligrams of solucortab bedside. I got electrolytes and they were so loving and so compassionate that it was unbelievable. Something else that we did. And I want to share this with you guys too, because if you don't have adrenal insufficiency, um, I just want to be real and, and kind of what, what go went through my head that night. So I asked that my son would, would be called, um, he's my oldest. And I asked that my son would be called and come home. I think it was like one o'clock in the morning. And, and the reason why I did that was, you know, because all I'm, I was laying there thinking, because if I go to the hospital and I don't come back, I needed one of my kids. I have three kids. I needed at least one of them to know what was going on. So things went bad quickly. That they can know that we tried and that, that we did our best. 
And that's a message I've given my kids ever since I was diagnosed with a life-threatening condition that something could happen. That's just the reality of it. But know that we tried our best and that everyone's human. And depending on the situation, something could happen and something could happen quickly with Addison's disease. And that's just the reality of it. And I've always told them too, that if that situation ever happens, that no matter what that story goes, wherever that leads, that if having them in my life, if having Addison's disease and having my three kids in my life, I would do it a million times over. And then that was okay with me. Um, so I wanted my son there. So my son was called. And then I remember, you know, you still go into mummy mode, right? Like I was so sick. I was so weak. I was still throwing up by bedside. And I remember hearing him come in the door and I could hear him crying. And I stopped the paramedic and I'm like, you know what, can we just stop for a minute? I don't even remember what she was doing. I go, just stop for a minute. And I go, my son needs to see me. I go, I'm not doing anything more until he sees me and I can tell him I'm okay. And that you guys are here and that I got the solucortab. I go, he needs to see me. And so we went, got Jared and brought him upstairs so he could see that I was okay and that they were taking care of me. And, um, and then we got, got me ready to go to the hospital. Um, they asked me, you know, are you, no, I, I was 45 years old at the time. She asked me, are you, and I live in a back split. So she asked me, are you, are you strong enough to get up and to walk out to the ambulance? And I said, no, I had absolutely no strength, no life in my body. So, you know, quickly, you know, what an adrenal crisis is, is basically my cortisol's levels were so low. My body was screaming for help. It was screaming desperately that there was something desperately wrong inside. And ultimately it was on its way to death. And that's exactly what it, in my opinion, what an adrenal crisis is. Things are so low and every cell is so close to death. It is screaming for help. And I was so weak. There is not a chance I could get up. And they, they got a chair and they strapped me to a chair and they carried me out of my house. And as we went out the front door, I remember my son was standing there and I refused to look at him because I was so weak. I was so scared because, and this was in the middle of COVID. So I was going to the hospital by myself. I was going without an advocate. I was going out without a voice. If I went uncautious, there was nobody, nobody to watch over me. And I did not look him in the eye because I did not want my look of fear and how weak I was to possibly be the last thing he saw. Um, so they, they took me by ambulance to the hospital, which thankfully is extremely close. I live like literally three blocks from, from the hospital. And we arrived at the hospital and I don't really remember too much. I remember, I remember getting more solucortaf. I remember getting blood work. I remember, um, I remember when I get really, really low, my cells get extremely sensitive. My body gets extremely sensitive to, to pain. And I remember <laughs> the poor young man taking my blood. He, he took my, my, my arm and, and he was drawing the blood and the pain was just 
unbelievable and I remember screaming and he kept he just instantly I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm sorry and I, I just remember looking and I'm going no I can feel that I'm not dead and I'm just so glad I'm not dead and I can feel that pain and um so I stayed I only stayed in the hospital for like six or seven hours and they gave me some fluids and and some solucortef and you know sent me on my way and I remember my ride coming to pick me up at eight o'clock in the morning and just, you know, barely shuffling my feet to get out the door. I had slippers on and, and, and barely having the strength to leave. Um, so looking back now, what I have learned from that first crisis and that first experience is I should have never been discharged from the hospital for one thing. Um, I did not have the strength. I should have insisted on staying and getting more solucortab and building my strength back up. Um, Cause I know I went home and for days, the weakness was just unbel unbelievable. And it's really, you're kind of like walking on the edge. I would say it's like, you're treading water. Like, you know, they gave me some solucortab, which just kind of brought me to the surface where I could, you know, I could breathe just a little bit but I could be shoved under the water so quickly again um, that I needed to be, I needed to be out of the pool. I needed to be on the edge of the pool before they sent me home. So that's definitely a lesson that I have learned is to insist on staying longer um, in, in the ER and getting some extra fluids and some extra solucortef um, to build up my strength before I go home. Um, and then when I came home, it was literally weeks of recovering. And like I said, <laughs> Now, when you have a chronic illness, you, you learn how to, you know, pull up your socks and kind of keep going. And within a couple of days, I wanted to go back to work. I wanted to be um, back to the land of the living. And sometimes I forget. Sometimes I forget how invisible my illness is. And I just keep pushing through. And I definitely needed a lot more recovery time. And I didn't give myself the love and the compassion I needed to, to acknowledge what my body had just gone through and what had just fought through not only that night in crisis, but what it had been fighting for probably for weeks. I have no idea how long that fight was going on and the exact toll it took on my body. And I, and that's the lesson I learned is to be more understanding of my own invisible illness and remind myself um, exactly what goes on on the inside and to honor that a little bit more. It, I would say it probably took me I'd say at least two months to finally really get my strength back because you find, you know, you have a few good days and then you tire out, you have a few more good days and then you tire out and life with Addison's disease, life is always changing. We don't live in a bubble. So, you know, I was getting different situations. I had, had, you know, different things going on and there's just different stressors and different things that wear us down. And when you're already worn down and just treading water, like I said, it pushes you below the surface that much easier. And that's what I found for a few months. Um, so some of the changes that we made um, after my first crisis, I did have like a hospital package ready to go. Um, so we had some information that I could take with me when I went to the hospital but we kind of, I made that a little bit more extensive now with more extensive details in it so that if I ever have to go by myself and can't speak for myself, there's at least an envelope of information with my name, with phone numbers, information about Addison's disease. I've written my health card number on it. Just little things that I can think of to help in the situation because time is of the essence. 
two minutes for me might save my life. 30 seconds faster might save my life. And I need that information there. Um, I put even a little, we have a closet in the house that has a little steel container with some information in it. And I've even put notes in it because with adrenal crisis, I got really, really cold. Um, and even just something to help me maintain my body temperature would have helped as well, because it would have taken a little bit of a stress off my body, which means the cortisol or whatever was left in my body could go towards essential functions. Um, so like I have this little tin with a note in it and there's a winter hat. It says, mom is probably cold. Please put a hat on her head and different things like that to remind them what to do. Because I understand when someone's in a crisis situation, not only is it hard for us to speak and to advocate for ourselves because, you know, we are physically in the situation. I also understand that whoever's with me in a crisis situation, it's scary and we don't know how we're going to respond and if we're going to be able to make the proper decisions and we need guidelines to follow. And the best person to do that is the person that's in the crisis and understands the illness the best. So that's something that we have put into place um, to help minimize the stress, speed up the process, and hopefully always have hopefully never have a crisis, hopefully to prevent them. That's the whole purpose is we want to prevent them from getting that far. But if we're ever in the situation to have the best fight that we can. So, so that's a little bit about my first crisis. And let me very quickly tell you a little bit about my little girl, Harley, who helped me that night. Like I mentioned, I lost her four weeks ago. We think she slipped a disc in her back. She was a little mini dash hound. Um, and she passed away a week after that happened. And, but ever since I had that first crisis a year and a half ago, she was absolutely amazing. It was like that night traumatized her so much. She, you can tell when I would get low cortisol, she would respond to it. She would sleep up by my head at night. If my, if my meds were low, if I had to go to the hospital since then to get IV steroids, you could tell when she came home, she could smell where I'd been and you could see the concern in her face. Um, it was absolutely incredible what she experienced that night and how she helped me in the time that I had left with her after that. And she actually helped me learn a lot about my illness. Um, I had COVID back in March. My daughter had it a few days before um, I started to show symptoms. But the night before I started to show symptoms, I felt absolutely fine. But Harley actually slept literally on my pillow, on my face all night. And she stared at me. And I actually took extra meds that night. And I woke up with cold symptoms and got my COVID symptoms the next day. So she actually helped me bring up my cortisol level. And obviously I was already fighting it inside, but didn't realize I was. And she helped me there and she's absolutely amazing. And I'm sure you guys have some wonderful pet stories as well of your pets that respond to your illness. And if you've ever questioned your animal and what they're doing to communicate with you and think, is that, is that real? Like, are they really responding to my low cortisol levels? Or, you know, am I really, you know, they are, trust me, they are, they know, trust their instincts as much as you trust yours. So again, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the pickle jar. I appreciate your time so much. So please review, please share, please subscribe. Please share your story with me. I'd love to have your story on the pickle jar. You can email me at thepicklejar at rogers.com. And again, thank you again. And until next time, please be well, my pickles.